All right, friends. Have you ever wondered what zone your chickens should go in or your bees or maybe your perennial plants? Today, we're diving into zone two of the homestead. And let's talk about a little more of where we should place things in our permaculture zones. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned, everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. All right, so zone two. If you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to our intro to the permaculture zones, our zone zero and our zone one episodes so that you can be caught up for zone two. This is a series we're doing on the permaculture zones, specifically for homesteaders. So it's a little bit different. I feel like there's you've got your permaculture people that are like these crazy hippies. We probably fall in there somewhere. Then you've got your homesteaders, and then you've got your farmers that don't even know that permaculture zones exist. Mm. And um, you've got people in all those different areas. I think what makes homesteading, permaculture for homesteading, different is again we're not necessarily focused on production we do want to have enough to put up and preserve and feed our family but we're not looking necessarily to sell Mm. and that makes the zones different to me in my mind i don't know (laughs) well yeah because i mean if you're if you're say a market gardener you're probably gonna like just either have a different property or your house is going to be a good long distance potentially from where your veggie gardens are. I mean, we know people who they're not, but traditionally if you're a a market gardener, your market garden is out in one flat spot out in full sun, you know, probably a distance from your home and your home site is like its own separate thing. Yeah. Um, But when you're talking about a homestead, you're really incorporating all of that into your daily activities, into your daily life and making it, you know, your home where you are studying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I like, I like zone two because we talked a lot about in zone one about planting things right up next to the house, like really just out steps outside the door. And um, really, if you think about a small homestead, you're not going to get too much further. You know, we were on a quarter of an acre. And so our zone two was maybe 10 feet out our back door. It wasn't wasn't right outside the back door. Um, So it's going to vary a little bit depending on how much space you have to expand. But I do want to encourage you, even if you have a large amount of space to expand, to really keep it cinched in. It can be really hard to do. But it will keep you most effective. The smaller the area that you're dealing with, the easier the work to get done. And actually, the more that you do get done, because the more intensely you're dealing with any one thing, the better it's going to do, right? Generally speaking. I like to think of zone one is like, this is a funny way that I imagine it Mm -hmm. in my mind, is if you laid on your belly with your feet against the wall of the house, as far as you can reach is your zone one. So that's like nine feet, maybe. Yeah, nine feet or so. Eight. Like, I, I just picture myself, like, tending all the plants, mm. laying on my belly with my feet touching the house or the patio. But, like, that, gives, you know, if you just went around your whole house, that's your zone one. What can you do in your slippers? Right. What can you do in your slippers? <laughs> yeah. Or bare feet. Um, but zone two, I think, is a great spot to put your chickens. Um, 
and I think in Gaia's garden, he ha- gives this great example of um, your chickens being on the way to your garden. So you can give them your compost scraps as you go past your chickens. So this garden, to be clear, is like your your like tomatoes, your like your annual, yeah. heavy yeah. annuals, yeah, yeah, your heavy annuals plants that you're not that don't need attention every single day, right? Um, I think like another example was like green beans, like your big pole beans, like those don't need to be right up next to your house. Put those out a little bit farther. Plant some big rows of those. You know, mix them in with your food forest, however you want to do it, but they don't need attention every Mm -hmm. single day. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing is zone two is where water, automatic water gets more important. So having timers and drip irrigation and that kind of thing set up because you're not going out there every day, Mm -hmm. but you still have to have the water. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so on your way to those, you give your chickens the chicken scraps and then on your way back from weeding, you can give the chickens your weeding scraps. So mm-hmm. instead of three separate trips, you're making one trip now. Yeah, but, I think for me, I think about, you know, the zone one is the area where you grow things that are perennial and almost structural and almost really focusing on things that um, are like landscaping, but edible landscaping or like usable landscaping is what you want to keep up really close to the house. And then, you know, the step out from that, things that you use in the kitchen regularly, especially and then your step out from that is like we were just saying, you know, you're maybe in the summer, you're growing like two 50 foot rows of tomatoes because you want to put up some tomatoes and that, you know, you can't obviously keep in your zone one because 50 feet anywhere in zone one is going to take up half your perimeter. Right? Unless you're really committed to tomatoes and then you could just put it, fill up your whole zone one with tomatoes. But what would That's you do true. the rest of the year? It'd be kind of sad. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It would be an empty, it would be a hole when you, which, you know, if you plan for it, it could be like, oh, this one pot is what I use. And right. there's something else growing next to it. But so zone two, I think, is also the spot where you can start building up some larger perennials. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm picturing like larger blueberry bushes, zone one being kind of like your dwarf varieties and zone two getting to something a little bit bigger. Yeah. I mean, zone two is like, you know, for us, even though blueberries will be really good in a landscape near the house, we don't have a lot of space for that. And the one side is really completely shaded. And on the other side, we just have so many herbs and things going that that's not the place for our blueberries. So we have blueberries in our uh, really just over the one, the one line, the border line of, of our one and two zones, one and two. So that, and we also have blackberry tunnel and our grape tunnels. They're all right there in that zone two area um, because we want to interact with those. We want those to be places that we, not only, you know, see and reap from, but we also can sit and enjoy. And, you know, we built these arbors that are out of the sun and we can watch the birds eating the berries or we can watch the butterflies pollinating the the flowers. So um, those are things that we think about as well when we're talking about our zone two is very much a part of our daily sight line, even though we might not walk all the way out there. We yeah. are looking at it and I like, sort of participating in I it. I like to think of it too as like zone two can be like, for our property, it's like on the way to the shed. Mm. So I don't go to the shed every day, but I go almost every day to the shed. Mm. So along that pathway is my zone two. And on the farther sight line, it starts to be our zone three. But, mm-hmm. you know, think about your property the same way. Where do you go? Not every day, but close to every day and start yeah. building your zone two out in that area. I think the only thing you want to be careful about is particularly on the south side of your Uh, property to not grow anything in your zone two that's going to shade your zone one 
um, where, you know, you're growing these other things that need full sun. So that's just one thing to kind of keep in mind for us. We have a slope, a significant slope. So anything we grow in that zone two is downhill from the things that are up next to our house. And then I think, yeah, like your zone three, your zone four is where you're going to get into your like full size trees, your fruit trees and things that are really putting off the sun or putting off the shade. So, you know, reserve those to go out a little bit farther mm-hmm. where maybe you're visiting like every week or so. Mm-hmm. And you really think about you're up close to the house. I mean, like you would traditional landscaping is generally mulched for that whole part. Your zone two is where it's no longer mulched, where there might be a path even separating the two sections and the, on the outside of the path, it's not mulched. It's um, <clears throat> you might spot mulch. Like you might have a, a bush that you're going to mulch very heavily, but you're not going to mulch everywhere. Um and that's mm-hmm. another way I think that you can kind of distinguish between your zone one and your zone two. That's a good point. And I mean, you, it's really like a lot about also how much mulch do you want to haul? Like mm-hmm. if you keep your zone one mulched, then that's a really good like indicator of like how much labor you want to spend mulching. Because, you know, if you have this massive zone one, you better have like machinery to bring in the mulch where you just have a wheelbarrow or a couple wheelbarrows and like some whiny kids that never want to move mulch, (laughs) then you probably want a smaller zone one. Mm, (laughs) Whiny kids. They are not. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying like, I don't know. Like if you found some whiny kids. Uh, Ours are never whiny. That's like if there were kids that did not like moving moving mulch. Yeah. And I, that's, I'm saying that sarcastically, but it's actually true. Sometimes they really get into it, you know, like in the initial, like if I ask them, but if it's their idea, they're like, oh, I'm going to make this look better over here. And then they'll mulch of their own accord, but that's, you know, not every day. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And also keeping in mind too. So your zone two needs to give you pretty good access to zone one. I think that that's a good reminder because I feel like we actually don't really have this on our property super well. Um, so even if you want, we don't use a lot of machinery and we've only a few times borrowed a tractor from a friend and just move mulch or some other big thing around. And it's not really easy to get to our zone two or our zone one with that machinery because we've planted so much. We have not built a system for machinery. We didn't make a plan for access, which I think is a really thing. Uh, Looking back, it will be something that I would spend more time doing is making sure that our access points to the other parts of our property, whether it's the back of our property, the fence part of our property or whatever, that we were just a little bit more, I don't know. Intentional? Well, yeah. (laughs) Strategic maybe is the right word about how we get to these places because... (laughs) There are times when a wheelbarrow is the only thing that will get there. And even that is tricky. Yeah. There's times where carrying it with a bucket is tricky. Yeah. Depending on how small it is. But, yeah. And yeah. carrying a shovel full of mulch from the mulch pile to the place it needs to go <laughs> is not efficient at all. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but I do love the thinking about, okay, maybe you have beehives. Um, maybe you have goats. Maybe you have anything that really should be kind of close to the house because you want to interact with them. I mean, there's different kinds of livestock that need more interaction and goats, I feel like are on that list. Pigs, maybe too. Like you, you kind of need to keep an eye on them. They aren't trustworthy. Yeah. They're, that's a tricky one because you, and I think that's a good point to bring up is that um, we had Scott Mann of the permaculture podcast. This guy is like the living permaculture 
man, I don't know. <laughs> like I, he eats, breathes, and sleeps permaculture. But he was pointing out that the zones do not necessarily have to be like concentric circles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your zone two of pigs does not necessarily have to be in, in, included in a zone two of like your chickens or your blueberry bushes or your pole beans. I need to, I see, I see a drawing. You need, you can have islands. You could have a zone two island within your zone three. So that the idea is the time requirements of each zone. So So again, it's really more about accessibility. It's more about having a path to get there. That's easy. That's what I was kind of thinking. Like with what you were talking about with like that accessibility of like these concentric circles but then you like stick your finger on the outer one and like smear your finger mm-hmm. all the way into zone one. So you have like this access path to all of your <laughs> zones is like, you know, there's, I like it. you can think of it however you want. There's no solid rule. They don't have to be set concentric circles. They can be waves or, you know, whatever makes sense for your property. And then the like, even crazier, hippier thing about it is that they can change and they should change over time, depending on, you know, your requirements and your needs and the property's needs. Mm. Um, it should be an ebb and flow that you explore on the regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't overcommit to any one thing because you may discover that that path to the chickens is just really not the way you naturally go. I think that's a, a large part of the observation piece, too, because I think we can look at a piece of paper from an aerial view and say, oh, well, this is what makes the most sense. But until you're down there on the terrain walking, there may be a boulder there that you just cannot move. And you are not going to have a path across that boulder because it is just in the way or a hole or, you know, whatever it is, a, a spot where nothing will grow. You know, like you just don't know what you're going to find until you are doing the work. Um, so I think it's good to have this overall vision and map it out and draw it out. Um, And then to really walk it out. And I mean, we talked about this a little in the first bit about observation. You can do as much observation by, you know, actually participating, walking and really getting a feel for which way is the right way to go up this hill or to get to the backside of my um, my shed or whatever it is. You know, you really need to look at that. I think a lot of us are dealing with situations that are already there, too. So for us, I know. You know, I can think Drew's like, oh, well, walking up to my shed, that's sort of our zone one slash slash zone two. For me, in my mind, that's a zone three, hard zone three, maybe four. (laughs) I would say for you, it probably is because you don't go to the shed as often as I do. Well, the shed, I think, (laughs) is inappropriately placed. And it was Uh, there when we got here. So I just think, okay, yeah, the shed is where it is. It's, I think, in a dumb, like, off in the corner place. But at the same time, it works because we've also put the woodshed right there. And, you know, it just, we're making it work. But I, kind of am curious, like maybe we should have taken the time initially to move the shed to where it made more sense for our actual lifestyle versus where it just was when we got here. Right. But anyway, those are just, you know, a lot of things. 10 years in here, we can look back and say this, we could have done differently. But at this point, we'll just build another shed because you're not country if you don't have at least two sheds. Yeah, we only have the one. Well, we have the barn and the other garage. So, I mean, that's like, we're, we're pretty country. <laughs> we're getting yeah. there. <laughs> and a junk pile behind the shed. Oh, so many ch- junk piles. <laughs> Let's not even talk about that. But um, good question. Where should your junk piles go? So somebody wrote me, I want to just kind of close with this, but somebody mm-hmm. wrote me and said, um, how do they draw a map of their property? Which mm-hmm. I was like, you know, for me, that was kind of like, well, of course I know how to do that. But, you know, I think some people don't necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I, 
if you're following along with this series, I I want to make sure that you are mapping it as you go and oh use this i mean look we are actually certified at certifying other people in permaculture right so i don't know that we can do that via the podcast no but that's what you have to do so you can follow along with this and and make your own permaculture and technically you're almost close enough to being able to turn that in and get your certification but i would say like the simplest form of it is like get a sheet of paper draw a square or a rectangle in the middle of it call that your house and then just start drawing like you, it doesn't have to be perfect, but draw out like the sidewalks and the cars and, you know, your driveway and all of those things, the edges, the things that you can't really move mm-hmm. and then start mapping out your zones. Mm-hmm. And if that's like too difficult for you, a different step is you can go to Google Maps and just print out like a satellite view. Mm-hmm. And I use this little cheat is I will go. And find something on the satellite where I know the size of it, like a car mm. or the shed or something that I already know the size. And then I use that for my scale. So I, uh, I can say like, okay, it's a car. The car is 10 feet long. You know, whatever the size is, I'll actually go out there and measure the car because now our cars show up on the satellite. Well, the interesting thing is that, you know, I, I'm envisioning some people who are like, that sounds like a nightmare. I need graph paper. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, don't, you know, you do you. Like if you are a mathematician or you really like pulling out your measuring tape and saying this square equals one square foot, you know, like yeah. just do it. Yeah, and you can do it. That could However. be really satisfying. Right. I mean, yeah. not for me, but that. For some people. Yeah. yeah. For, and I would be really satisfied to look at somebody else's drawing like that. Right. It's like an yeah. Excel spreadsheet. Like. Right. I mean, it makes sense. I get it. I just don't want it. Don't want to look life. at it. <laughs> so that, that was what I was going to close with is just go ahead and add your zone to, to your map. If you hadn't, cre- haven't created a map yet, go back and listen to the other zones and start from zone zero and work your way up to z- zone two. And then join us as we explore the rest of the permaculture zones on the homestead. Yes. And lastly, if you have not looked in to the homestead mastermind it might be for you and we would love for you to participate we have an episode all about it and we also have a landing page you can check out at the schoolhouselife.com backslash homestead mastermind uh it's an incredible resource tool um for you to build and design your perfect homestead and also be in a community with people who are going to help you get it so check it out